Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of Songwriter Theory. I'm glad that you are taking the time out of your day to listen to me talk about songwriting and to uh, invest in your own songwriting future by deciding to learn more about it. For that, I commend you because a lot of people are lazy about it and wouldn't even take the time to listen to a half hour or so podcast every week. So the fact that you are willing to do that with all the other distractions in this world says a lot about your dedication to the cause of writing great music. And for that, I commend you. And I hope that someday I will get to appreciate some of your songs and have your songs impact my life. And if not my life, other people around us, even if it's just the people close to you, because that's the greater mission here. Is it not? Um, before we dive in, I did want to say one thing that I keep meaning to say in, in a podcast and keep forgetting, um, and that is if you are one of the people who did sign up for access to the songwriting sessions and have wondered why there has not been a second one, the story there is I recorded a second one and the software recorded it into a type of file that my editing, my video editing software uh, does did not want to cooperate with, um, and I don't remember how I got around it the first time, and I spent like an hour and a half trying to figure it out because I wanted to get that uploaded like a month ago when I did it, or a month and a half ago, I don't know, it's been a while now, um, and it just start, started being a giant time suck. Um, I got frustrated, and I so it's, it has not been uploaded yet. Uh, I do plan on going back and uh, doing that and figuring out how to get it right the first time in the future so that I can make more of those. That is still the plan. Um, but I figure I give you an update that I did not just forget about those, nor did I just abandon it. Uh, there is one that has been recorded and is not uploaded. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, basically I did a, um, some people were asking sort of for insight into the songwriting process in real time. So I did a video of me in real time writing music. Like I didn't prepare for it or anything. I just went through like and explained like how I was thinking and to give you sort of a, a real insight into the songwriting process, you know, not fabricated, not set up, just me talking and, you know, figuring out on the keyboard, you know, uh, you know, I improvised until I found a riff that I liked and, you know, went through that whole thing, oh, which is really the, the, the purpose of those, uh, only one of which is out there. Uh, I'll put a link in the description. If that sounds like something interesting to you, the first video was like an hour and a half. It was a long time, but, um, I think it's worth it for sort of insight into the reality of the songwriting process if you're interested. Uh, so I will uh, put the link in the description. So we are talking about songwriting is a funnel today because I have mentioned multiple times in recent podcasts the concept of songwriting being a funnel and I've sort of run over it pretty quickly 
And I thought that it was a good time to really dive in to what that means and sort of the different importances of that, how it actually affects decisions and how we write songs and and sort of just to to give you a new way of looking at the songwriting process because I mentioned this before but my you know my my day job if you will is uh as a software developer so I I have a very I'm I'm interesting in that I am very much a creative at heart, but I also have that very analytical, sciencey, engineering side, and I love processes and I love efficiency. Like one of my big quests is with everything I do, like recording podcasts, writing blogs, figuring out how to do it more and more efficiently. Because my hope at some point is to get to the point where I can do two podcasts a week, um, and possibly more blogs or two podcasts and a video, or be able to pump out more content. So. Um, so a part of what inspires this, uh, funnel concept is, uh, that, that I'm as a very analytical person as well. I enjoy, um, different ways of looking at processes to, um, be more educated about the process and, and, and cause each thing can influence you in a different way, right? So if you think of songwriting as a funnel, but then you also think of it as some of the other ways we've learned to look at songwriting, uh, it can just be, be helpful for making different creative decisions along the way and just understanding songwriting better and better. So first let's, let's talk about what a funnel is, Right. A funnel, according to Google, is a tube or pipe that is wide at the top and narrow at the bottom, used for guiding liquid or powder, which I've never used it for powder, but interesting, into a small opening, right? It's wide at the top and then it's circular and it gets thinner and thinner and thinner until it's a little nozzle thing at the bottom. So if you're putting oil in your car, right, you do it through a funnel because it, it allows you to pour the oil in a way that you don't really, you're not going to get it everywhere, right? Because it, it, you pour it into the wide top and then it comes out in a very specific way at the bottom because it gets thinner and thinner over time. Or, you know, the, the similar concept is used for... You know, sometimes we use funnels for different things in baking. Like, even when you're frosting something, right? You put it in this, like, the frosting in the big bag, and then there's a little nozzle at the end so that you can control exactly where the frosting goes. So, we're going to go through three big ideas. And the first one is that each decision has progressively less creative space but is closer to a complete song. Let me say that again. Each decision has progressively less creative space, but is closer to a complete song. So a funnel gets less and less wide the lower you get until you get to the small spout. Right? Similarly, with each creative decision, you get less and less creative room. Right? So, let's take a song. We're going to write a song. And you have to make a decision, right? Like, the first step of writing a song is making a decision. 
let's say you decide for whatever reason that you are going to write this song in the key of E, which by the way, I do not recommend choosing and holding to a key like before writing anything else, because what key it's in should really be something that you change in order to, you know, fit your vocals best or something like that. But let's just say you choose the key of E. And for whatever reason, you stubbornly adhere to that um, and refuse to change it later when you realize that it would be better if it was actually in the key of C or key of D or minor or something. Well, that that wouldn't happen because... Anyway. Well, it could. But anyway, you choose key of E. Now, you have restricted the notes you can use, right? And... You know, without getting technical and like, you know, yes, you can use notes that are outside of your key if you're if you understand how to do it and for certain chords and blah, blah, blah. Yes. But for the most part, now, you know, the notes you have to work with are these notes that you have in the key of E major. So you no longer have all 12 notes to choose from, right? You no longer have C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, F, F sharp, G. I will keep going. Just kidding. No, I won't all the way. Um, well, actually, I might as well. G, G sharp, A, A sharp, B, and then the other C. So you no longer have all those options. You chose the key of C. So now, or sorry, the key of E major. So now you know that you have, you're restricting yourself, right, to the notes that are contained in the key of E major, which is E, F sharp, G sharp, A, B, C sharp, and D sharp, right? So now you're constrained to those notes. So you no longer have the, the note of C as an option because in the key of E major, um, C is sharp. So you have C sharp as an option, but not C. So you now ha- have fewer choices, right? When you're writing your melody, you don't have all 12 notes to work off of. You just have the seven, right? Um, I mean, obviously you have different octaves and stuff, but you have restricted yourself to fewer notes. Also, I think it's 11 because 12 would include the octave above, but you know what I'm saying. And now, now you, let's say you choose a tempo, right? You choose a tempo that's this fast. Now, you're going to be restricted by certain things, right? How fast can you play the guitar? So maybe for this tempo, maybe for a certain guitar part you're doing, maybe it's finger picking, you can't finger pick this fast. So now you're restricted to one every two beats, or maybe one every four beats or something. Right? So with each so with a tempo, you you're restricted more. When you write a lyric, right? When you write a lyric, if there's twelve syllables, that restricts your melody, right? You can't have a melody that has like you know thirty notes per line. Obviously that's an absurd number. If you your lines are way too freaking long if, if, if you have 30. But, you know, for the sake of the argument, okay, let's say you have five syllables in your first line. So pretty short line, but you have 12 melody notes, right? Like those two don't go together. So if you once you have that five-syllable lyric, you may be able to stretch that to six, right? Depending on the words, 
certain words, you can sort of like add a syllable that's not there, or you can take away a syllable by, you know, maybe, maybe using a contraction like don't instead of do not, you know, you can make little tweaks like that. But for the most part, once you have that lyric, you can, you need to have a certain amount of notes in your melody and you're restricted. You can't do anything you want with your melody. Or on the other side, if you write your melody, right, you're restricted in lyrics. If your melody is 12 notes and you have three words that have two syllables each, like that's it's probably not going to work because you have six total syllables, right? I think I said three and two. So three times two, six, and then 12 different notes. Like that's, that's just not going to work. So, and, and then right once you write your piano riff or your melody, uh, there's only certain chords that will go with that. If you're holding the, you know, uh, an E for a long time and you're in the key of E, uh, you're, you're probably going to want to be using a chord that contains the E, which gives you only a certain amount of options, right? Not every chord in the key of E has the E note, right? An A chord does, but a B chord doesn't, right? A B major chord has a B, a D sharp, and an F sharp. So if you're singing in an E, you know, unless you want that effect, you sort of want that suspended effect, you want you want a little bit of dissonance, that's fine. Um, but if you want it to be totally consonant, that's not a chord choice you have. You're going to have to choose the A chord or a C sharp chord or an E chord, right? Because those are the chords that contain an E. So with every decision you make in songwriting, from tempo to key to writing a piano riff or a guitar riff or writing chords, every single one of those things has a trickle-down effect where it restricts the choices you have for everything else. So we're going to take a second here and I'm going to show you a little bit of what I'm talking about by um, playing different parts. So, so this is going to be the same couple measures from a song that I'm working on right now that will be in the upcoming EP um, that has been delayed too much, but it finally will be... Uh, I'm going to set a date and stick with it real soon. But anyway, uh, so I'm going to play you the same... I think it's four measures of the song over and over and over, but each time show you sort of the order that I I wrote the song in and show you how each decision is more and more constrained um, by a decision that I made before. So this song, um, I wrote the piano first. It's called Bridge to Anywhere. And I wrote the piano riff first so i'm going to play that for you first here it is so when i first wrote that right i wasn't locked into a specific tempo yet right cuz that that riff could be sped up or slowed down but once i recorded it right there's a specific tempo now that I have. And even before I recorded it, right, I had to pick a key before I could come up with that riff. Now, I think I ended up changing the key um, 
but I think I originally wrote that in the key of E and ended up doing uh, D sharp instead. I put it down a, a semitone, I believe is what what happened with that song. But anyway, um, so you have a basic piano riff, right? Now, that's something that I was improvising, right? So if you listen to the last podcast, I talked about the importance of improvi- improvisation in songwriting. So I think I was just improvising. I was messing around, you know, doing whatever. And then I came up with that riff or I came up with something similar to that riff and then workshopped it a little bit and eventually got to that riff, which I really, really liked. I thought I had sort of a, a pensive, sort of sad, sort of hopeful sound that I really liked. And I thought, okay, I want to, I want to write a song off of that. Um, so now, right, when I lock that sound in, when I lock that riff in, to me, I've committed to a couple things. First of all is a tempo. Uh, you know, even before I record it, it's, it's the tempo's semi, you know, it's not, it's not going to change that much. It might change eight beats per minute or ten beats per minute up or down, um, but not much more than that, right? It's not going to double in beats per minute. So tempo's a little bit locked in, and then um, the key is not necessarily locked in because I can change that later. But for now, as I keep writing, right? So I originally, I think I was I wrote that in the key of E. So when I come in, came up with other parts, you know, like melody or whatever, I also had to do those in the key of E. Even though, again, later I just transposed them uh, to be something that I thought my voice would sound better with or I was more comfortable with. Um, so, really there, I have restricted tempo, and then I haven't written the melody yet, right? Or the chords. Um, although, you know, you could argue chords becomes a weird thing when you have a, a piano riff, right? Because there's sort of chords built in there, but they're not, they're not totally fleshed out, right? It's not clear like this is an A chord, this is an E chord. It's not so clear. Um, but melodically, I'm a little constrained, right? I can't just do anything I want. I'm at least constrained to the notes in that key, right? And then, you know, I'm also constrained by... You know, depending on the notes that I'm playing in the keyboard and how consonant I want that part of the melody to be, you know, I I need to pick notes that are in that part of the riff during, you know, the same part of the melody. If I want it to be totally consonant, if I want a little dissonance, then it's fine to break out of that. But, you know, it is constraining to the melody that I come up with. So I haven't recorded the vocals yet of this song, but I have a synth that does the melody. Uh, for now, just as a placeholder. So now I will play you that same line, but now with the melody added, uh, which will be vocals someday and, and lyrics. I already have the lyrics written, of course. Um, but right now, all I have available is <coughs> sorry, is the synth version of the melody. So here that is. So that part right there right that fits well with the piano riff that i already wrote right so those two work well together those two fit together i have exactly the right amount of consonants and dissonance when i want them the melody is a motive of what i want it to be a motive of right to me it matches and then enhances and even specifies if you will the specific emotion that the song 
is um, going for. And I think I think in this case, I did write the melody before I wrote the lyrics. I had some lyrical uh, concepts before, so I knew uh, quickly after writing the piano riff, I knew more or less what the song would be about, came up with the song title, song concept idea, and then kept improvising over that piano riff, right? So I recorded that piano riff and actually used that very synth that you hear there uh, and use that to use my keyboard to improvise until I figured out a total melody for that, the verse. So that's the last four measures of a verse. Um, and use that uh, improvisation again until I found, and then again, I tweak from there something that fit and I really liked. So now I have a melody and a main piano riff. So what chords I can choose to have, what bass part I can choose to have, you know, the, the different notes that I can have in all the other instruments that are going to play are now very limited, right? Because I don't want them to conflict with my melody, right? I don't want them to be parts that if I, you know, when I record my vocal, you know, the part distracts me from being able to sing the note that I'm supposed to sing because it's so um, non-purposefully dissonant with the part, right? If I have a, if I need to hold on an E, and but a violin is playing an F or an F sharp, right? Those like my voice is going to automatic because it's so close but not quite there. I'm going to want to sing that note instead. So I need to keep those sort of things in mind as I move on, right? So when I have this melody, I'm now more constructed with the next choice I can make. So I think the next thing I did was the bass. So here is that same part with the bass added this time. So I didn't necessarily need to have the bass um, match and do the exact same thing as the bass notes in the piano riff, uh, but um, there were other options there, but I decided to do that because uh, I actually really liked that uh, sort of left-hand part of the piano, and I thought uh, the bass doubling it could be good. I thought it was an interesting part. I liked it. Uh, you know, not too complex or anything, but it um, had a, the, an emotion that I really wanted to tap into. So in that case, I ended up deciding to just double it. But without that piano riff constricting me, right, I might not have come up with that bass line. Now, now it, it is sort of a bass line, sort of now. Um, it certainly is the bass part. I don't know if you'd call it a bass line, but um, it is a bass part that we have. Um, that came directly from the influence and, you know, mirroring the piano riff. Uh, be, so, and being constrained by that piano riff and melody is what helped make me the, helped me make the decision to have that bass part mirror it. So the next part that's added is the guitar. Now I know that guitar part is kind of hard to hear. It's a little bit in the background. Um, that's not. This is not the final mix, obviously, because I have not um, even recorded the vocals yet. Uh, they may or may not stay way in the background like that. But here's a little uh, clip of that guitar part without all the other parts, so you can hear what's going on there.
So then I played again the everything put together again at the end there, so you could hopefully hear it alone, and then when you heard everything together again, you could hear how it sort of fit in there. Um, so that guitar part is really, you know, it's, it's not complex at all. It's doing a, a sort of counter melody sort of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a melodic part that isn't a melody, right? So it, it, it very much has a melody of its own, but it's very, very, very simple. And that was, you know, intended because I thought, okay, I want something else that's sort of melodic because so far we have the melody, right? The actual melody, the most important melodic aspect. And then... Which is why I wrote that second, right? Because to me, the you know you have so much creative room at the first two decisions or so that I think, for me personally, piano riff, um, I like good, interesting piano riffs. Um, so piano, and, and I, it's easier for me to start with a melody when I already have a piano riff to sort of influence that. So for me, usually my first two go tos are piano riff, um, and then. A melody off of that um, but so I already have melody and sort of that bass line thing right that came from the piano is sort of one melodic part uh, the top part of the piano is just sort of chimes right it's sort of a chiming thing um, and then you have the melody of the melody and then this guitar part is sort of sitting way below um, sort of in the background that sort of adds another some some movement right it, it sort of has this this very simple melodic movement um, and it's very you know it's intentionally not interfering with the melody right it's, it's, it's so basic and, and and true to the key and the chords that it doesn't interfere with the melody like it's it and partially the volume too the volume of it helps so that uh you know all of this is not interfering too much with with the main point which is that melody so um you know and, and, and it adds a lot to the song even though it's 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 very simple it's very basic it's not you know it's it's not a hard part uh, by the way it is two it, i took the guitar doubled it and it has two different effects on it so if it sounds um like two different guitars it, it sort of is um it's two effects on the same guitar um two different tracks uh if you care about that part um so and that's sort of just meant as an atmosphere, right? It's it's sort of in the background and it's sort of there, and add, and it sort of subtly adds another melodic concept to the song that does not interfere with the rest, right? So, and then this is the last I mentioned before. This is the last part of the second verse. I didn't mention second verse part because that's not necessarily important. But this is the last part. Um, so I have this other part that um, there's this. Um, so this is like four measures or whatever, and the whole verse is 16 measures, right? So the, the first four measures, I had nothing. Second four measures, I had one uh, synth part, and then I grew it and made it a little more complex for that third part. And then this fourth part is where it's most uh, complex, but it's still very simple. So I will play you that part now. So again, for full disclosure, um, that synth part is actually two different tracks, same uh, uh, MIDI notes, if you will, uh, two slight, uh, two different 
synth sounds to sort of give it that ending sound that you hear, which is what I want it to sound like. Um, at least so far, it's not the final song yet because I haven't recorded the vocals, so that may change. But um, so that part, right, is um, fairly simple. It really is just one uh, for notes in the key. It's one, four, five, six, one up the octave, and then back down. So it's, it's really just some of the core notes of the key, which may, helps it really not clash with the melody because it's so. Uh, almost generic within the key. You could sing almost anything over that um, because the notes are being passed by quickly enough that it's not going to stay long enough to really be dissonant with anything. And, and you know, because like if you hold a C major chord and belt an A on the top of it, that's going to have dissonance, right? Because they're both holding at the same time and it sort of adds that pressure as it just grows and grows. Um, but you're not going to get that effect with this because one, it's grazed over quickly. So that's one aspect, right? Another thing is all of these notes, you know, we've talked about dyads before. Uh, if not, go check out that podcast on dyads and why they're awesome. But like dyads, when you only have two notes, right? Like it, it has a way of giving you more options with other parts because there's less information, right? Like you don't even know if the chord's major or not. You only have the first and the fifth. Um, it leaves things beautifully vague, which allows you more creative room with other choices. So this is sort of similar to that in that it is not a dyad, right? It's four different notes uh, plus an octave up on the first note, but they're all, you know, if you think the main chords you have in a key, right, are one, four, five, six. And we are playing all those notes in this riff. One, four, five, six, one, six, five, four, ones, you know, back up and down. So all of those notes are very um, just core to the key. And then the way they're played relatively quickly helps them to not clash with the melody or anything it helps to just sort of rev you into the chorus right so you there's no clip here of 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 how that synth sort of grows over time to really build up to the chorus that's just the final part uh where it's really bringing you into the, the excitement for that chorus that's coming um so hopefully what you saw from that from those examples and by saw i mean heard because obviously um Obviously, uh, you did not see anything. This is a podcast. <laughs> um, but hopefully what you got from that, right, is every decision that was made put more constraints on the next one, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So it's important to utilize that greater creative space, the greater creative space that you have for the parts that are important for your song, right? So if you notice by the order I did things, I put emphasis on and I considered most important the melody and the piano riff, the piano part. So I wrote the piano part first and then melody, right? So I'm showing that I'm prioritizing those. I said to myself, because when I wrote the melody, right, all I had was that piano riff. And that's saying... These are the important things. I want to make sure to get the melody right and then build everything else off of this. I want to make sure to get the piano riff and melody right and then build everything off of that. If I wrote the bass line first, 
If I wrote that guitar part first, that would imply that's one of the more important parts, right? Because I'm using all this creative room to come up with that guitar part. But that guitar part is very simple, right? It's something that just sort of came along the way. It's meant to fill in the mix. It's meant to fill in the song. It's not an important part. I mean, it's important, but it's important as a supplemental piece. So I don't write that first, right? Which is why... If you go back a couple podcasts, I, I begged you not to write chord progressions. And really what I was saying, right, in that podcast, if you listen to it, is I'm saying don't start with chord progressions. Of course, there's going to be chords at some point and, you know, chord progression and, and harmony. There's some argument there to what is truly a chord progression besides, you know, just a progression of chords. But, um, you know, because there's no clear chord progression in, in what the song I just played you. Right. Like you can figure out sort of what what the chords probably are. Um, but there's a lot left vague because there's you know, there's no I'm not playing guitar chords there. There's no full chords. It's a riff that's constantly changing and evolving and a bunch of different melodic parts all sort of coming together. Um, so. I was telling you not to write chord progressions first, right? I was telling you not to just pull out the guitar and to be like C, G, D, there's my chord progression. Because most of the time, what's most important in your song is not going to be the chords, right? That piano riff is the first thing you hear when the song starts. So that's important. And that, to me, is sort of the root of the song. And the way I write songs, the piano riffs are very important for me specifically in the way that I write. Uh, melodies are always important, right? Lyrics are important. So those are some of the first things you want to attack. You don't want to write all these different parts and then be like, oh, I guess I should figure out the melody now, right? Like, that's usually not the way to write. Unless, you know, maybe your song is meant to be really catchy. So the chords and the, the rhythm... And the bass line, right, are all important to have this groove going. And then you're like, all right, the melody is less important, so it's fine to write that now, right? So if you think about it, it's important to utilize the greater creative space where it can actually be applied effectively, right? So if you have a poem that you want to turn into a song and the lyrics are already exactly as you want them, that's a constraining factor. If you love the lyrics as is, though... If you do love the lyrics as is, though, well, that sentence keeps coming out weird. If you love the lyrics as is, it's worth making the other creative decisions off of that rather than selecting tempo and chords before working on the already complete lyrics, right? It's worth having that constraining factor of the lyrics if you already have the lyrics written and you love them and you don't want to change them. Okay, let that be a constraint to the rest of your song. That's okay. That can be a good thing. But also don't put yourself in a creative corner unnecessarily, right? Don't commit to a key, right? So for this song, right, that's, it ended up being in the key of, again, I think it's a D sharp major. Wait, that's not a key. Um, sorry, E flat major, which technically those are the same thing, but we look at it as a flat key. So it's E flat major. But I wrote it in E. Um, so I didn't commit to a key, right? I realized that for me, vocally, the E flat was actually better. Um, I sort of liked how the piano sounded a little bit better. I sort of liked just, just the slight tone differences. I just liked how it sounded better, um, uh, semitone down in E flat instead of E. Um, so I didn't lock in the key, right? I, I, I was willing to transpose it. So don't commit to a key and then change the melody because the top part of the melody 
in that key is outside of your range, right? Like if you write a song in the key of C and you realize it requires you melodically to hit tenor high C for the high note and for what, say your range is only to B, right? Then, you know, don't be, the melody is what's important, right? What key it's in is not important. Just transpose it down so you, because, so so that, you know, transpose it down by a half step, right? Because, a half step down from C is B. So just transpose the song down so you can nail that B. Don't change the melody. The melody's more important, right? And don't commit to a chord progression and then throw out a great melody you love because it doesn't fit the chord progression, right? Because the melody's more important, probably. I mean, I guess it depends on the song, but for the most part, your melody's going to be more important. So thinking of songwriting as a funnel helps you make creative decisions into like what things you should write first, right? When I want, when I said to myself, I want to write a song with a great bass line, guess what I wrote first? I wrote the bass line first because I had nothing constraining it except, you know, I picked a key to improvise bass lines in. But even then I could change it later once I figured out the melody if, you know, it was outside of my range or in an ideal range or whatever. But I wrote the bass line first because I said this is the priority. And then the chords, I just came up with chords that fit with the bass line and fit with the melody that I ended up writing, which actually the melody ended up echoing the bass line. I like the bass line so much. I had the melody copy it. Um, but, you know, your priorities are shown by the order that you do them, right? So... If you decide early in the morning that you are going to brush your teeth before you put on your cologne, in a way, you're saying it's more important that I get my brushing my teeth done because I want to do this before I can possibly forget right? Like what is important to you can be measured sort of in two things, how much time you spend doing it and when you do it, right? So if you come home and the first thing you do is, you know, you appreciate your wife or your husband or whatever, and you know that they asked you that day to please take out the trash when you got home that night. If you do that first, right? You're saying that's most important to do this act of service to my spouse, right? Because I'm going to do it right away to make sure I don't forget it. I don't get too lazy and I, I do it right away, right? That's showing how much you're prioritizing that. If I get home, right? And I decide to watch Netflix, I decide to finish BoJack Horseman because it's so good. It's so good. If I decide to do that before I record a podcast, right? Um, I'm saying that it's more important to me to make sure I finish BoJack Horseman than to record another podcast. That's I'm, I'm prioritizing that, right? And you can see that by the order in which I do things. So that's a natural part of all this, right? Like the things you prioritize in your songwriting, the things you find most important in each of your songs – Write those things first, right? If the melody is super important to you, maybe don't usually write that last, right? Some Sometimes, right, if you want to mix it up, right? Like, I tend to be a very melody lyrics-driven person. Like, to me, a lot of times, you know, I, I write some songs on guitar, for sure. Especially rock songs, I write those on guitar. Um, 
but but for the most part, I, I, I write a lot of my singer-songwriter stuff off of the piano. And to me, the three big things that I want to get right in every song, I want the melody to be right. I want the lyrics to be great. Those are my big, big two. And then I want an, an interesting or memorable piano riff. Those are the things I want. So those are almost always the first three things I write. Almost always, because those are my priorities. Those are the things I want. Now, once in a while, I'll mix it up. You know, I'll write a bass line first, or I'll write a guitar riff first, or once I try to, you know, I'll change things up just because, you know, I don't want to be in a box. But for the most part, the order in which you do things shows your priority. And looking at it the other way around, right, you can decide your priority by forcing yourself what to work on first, because you understand that songwriting is a funnel. With every decision, you have fewer and fewer options creatively with the next decision. So big idea number three is the limiting of options is a good thing. Sometimes having fewer options is good. It helps you avoid making something a mess by having too much in it, right? It promotes making more simple parts, which are necessary to fill a song, right? Like that final guitar part is fairly simple. Uh, There's nothing complex about it, but it helps to just fill in the song. Its job is not to be the star of the show, right? The star of the show is the melody and that piano riff, so much so that I doubled part of the piano riff with the bass to really make sure you got that piano riff and the the parts of the piano riff that I like weren't drowned out, right? So I had the bass double it. Um, So the limiting of options is good. You don't want too many complex parts all going at the same time because it becomes a mess. So that's actually a good thing and it helps you uh, write more quickly, right? Because with every creative decision you make, in theory, some of your creativity for the song ran out, which is maybe a bad way of looking at it, but right, like, like it, it, everything takes a little more out of you creatively for the song. Um, but you have fewer options for the next one. So that helps to make it so you don't need to be as creative for the next part necessarily. So by the time you're on the, you know, the third guitar part, right, it just needs to fill in the mix. It just needs to fill in the song. You don't need to be as creative as you did for the first one to come up with that brilliant guitar riff that took you three hours to figure out like a great guitar solo or whatever. You know, you, you don't need that. It's just a filler part now. You're working on something much less important that just is, really is just there to fill in the mix. Um, and it's easier to make an A-B decision than a decision with 500 choices, right? Like something I really love is is these days it's really popular to have the type of restaurant that it just has like one thing it specializes in, right? Like um, I don't know if you've – you depending on where you're from, you may or may not know what Raising Cane's is, right? It's basically a chicken strip fast food joint sort of and they literally have five things on the menu and all of their meals all four of them i think are just combos of those five things which is chicken strips texas toast french fries coleslaw uh and cane sauce which is their sauce which make what makes everything delightful i think that's everything like they have nothing else on the list you don't choose between fries and onion rings they just have fries so they say we are great at making these chicken tenders and the sauce that goes with it so if you come to our restaurant that's what you're getting and they're just great at that one thing on the other side right you have the typical mexican restaurant where it's like 500 options all different combinations of like the same 20 ingredients seemingly but like you have 500 options so you're sitting there like oh what what on how do i make this decision i don't even know where to start right there's too many choices 
Um, but it's easy to choose when you go to Cane's or Chipotle, right? Because for the most at Chipotle, you're just almost every decision is like an A B decision. Do I want a burrito or a bowl? Or maybe a salad, but you're probably burrito or bowl. And then white rice or brown rice? Okay. Uh, you know, um, kidney beans or whatever the bean choice or black beans, right? And then for salsas, there's three different salsas. And you can get all three if you want, right? All of the choices are like binary, easy choices. And then at the end, you have a delicious burrito. So that's part of what's good about this funnel, right? Towards the end of the funnel, you don't have much of a choice for parts because you already have so much of the harmony worked out, so much of the, the rhythms worked out, right? Like everything is worked out. So you just need simple parts that just fill in the mix. And you don't want to have infinite creativity anymore because it would become too much. So it's actually really helpful that songwriting is a funnel. Um, you know, so if this was discouraging to you that like, you, you know, your creativity is more and more limited with every decision, that's a good thing because by, by time it becomes more and more limited, it, the, the parts you should be writing should be less and less complex. They should be more and more simple, more and more just filling in the mix, right? If you have 10 guitars all doing totally different melodies, that's not going to work, right? It's just not. Like that's not that's not how it works. Even in classical pieces, right? There's usually a melody, and then you know the harmonies can be more complex and different instruments moving. But for the most part, right? There's still it's controlled, right? There are always going to be instruments just sort of holding chords in the background, right? Because the violins are staying on E while somebody else is staying on G sharp while somebody else is staying on a B. That makes an E chord, right? Like while somebody else doing melody and maybe another one's doing a harmony off of that melody, and you know the chords may evolve in a more complex way, right? Like it's not just staying on an E chord for a measure. It might be like an E chord and then the person, the, the groups playing at G sharp go up to an A to make it suspended and then fall down to a C sharp to eventually evolve the chord into a C sharp chord, right? Like I'm not saying that it's super simple. I'm just saying that even those pieces aren't like 30 violins all doing something, some melody totally different and unrelated, right? Like, so it's a good thing to restrain your choices, it's like if you walk into a room, right, and there's 10 doors to choose, and then you choose a door, and then there's 10 doors again, and then you choose a door again, and there's 10 doors again. Does that sound like a nightmare to you? Because it seems like you're not making any progress, right? Like, how do you know if you're going the right way? There's always 10 doors. Is the door just going back to the same room? Like, what's going on? But if there's 10 doors to choose, and then you go into past that door, and now there's only nine doors... And then you go through that door and there's only eight doors and then seven and then six and then five. Even if it's a total facade, you probably feel like you're making progress, right? And it helps you to like, can you imagine by the 10th time of choosing between 10 doors, you're probably mentally exhausted and you don't even have information to work off of, right? You don't know which door is the right door, but which is sort of creativity in a nutshell, right? Like you don't know what the right answer is because there is no right answer. It's just, it's, you know, you're, you're, it's a creative process. It's not, it's not a science. Um, you know, there are wrong choices, but there are also a lot of right choices. So, you know, if you're for the 10th time, you've chosen one of 10 doors, you're going to be exhausted. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to feel overwhelmed. But if by, you know, with each door you go through, there's one fewer option, you feel like you're making progress and it's easier to choose, right? Because if you can choose between 10 doors, 
you can choose between nine, and then you chose between nine. And so you can choose one out of eight. If you did that, you can choose one out of seven, right? So it's, it's sort of like that. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So if you already have an interesting piano riff and melody and lyrics and chords with solos too, it might be good to have a simple part that's just holding one note. So again, quickly, because I know this podcast has gone very, very long. It's almost an hour. Big idea number one. Each decision has progressively less creative space, but is closer to a complete song. Big idea number two. Utilize the greater creative space, so the first things you write, for the parts that are most important to your song, right? Because you show priority by doing those things first, usually. And the limiting of, big idea number three, the, big, the limiting of options is a good thing. It is good to have limited options that helps you make choices. It is a good thing that over time you have fewer and fewer creative choices. It helps you to be able to finish a song, right? If, if you have a funnel, but the end is clogged, right? And nothing comes out at the other end, the funnel is useless, right? The end, at the end of the day, the purpose of the funnel is to get the oil into the gasket, right? Like that's, or whatever that's called, right? That's the point of it. So at the end of the day, you got to finish your song. And if you kept going through ten, a door, one out of ten doors, and there's ten more doors, and you know you're never gonna finish your song. At some point, when choices are more and more limited, and you, it makes it easier to make decisions, uh, it is a good thing. It is a good thing that your options become more limited, so it's easier to push forward. Because it's easier to push forward when you walk through a door and there's one fewer doors after that decision. So much easier, right? Because you see the progress. Even if you don't know where you're going, you still see that progress. If every time you go through a door and there's 10 more doors, every time, you're going to get overwhelmed. Which is the beauty of this funnel concept. So I hope this was helpful to you. I hope that this idea of songwriting being a funnel is is, is something that, that can help you get a fresh new look into uh, songwriting and the process of songwriting and, and help give you insight into, you know, may, maybe where you should start with songwriting, right? Like usually one of the first three parts you write, it's important to have the most important parts in there. You know, it doesn't, most important part doesn't need to be first necessarily, but the most important parts should certainly be in the first three parts you write or first two parts you write, right? Like I would consider the most important being lyrics and melody. Usually those are two and three for me, uh, just because it's easier to start with a piano riff uh, with improvisation. Um, but but almost always, those are the first three parts I start with. The order, who's to say? But you know, I'm showing my priority that way. So hopefully, you and again, your priorities don't need to be those three, right? Maybe to you, a groovy bass line, a melody, and uh, a catchy guitar riff are the three most important parts, right? And lyrics aren't that important to you. Or maybe you don't even have lyrics in the music you're writing. So, you know, in your case, it might be best to write that groovy bass line first, right? Don't write the chords first, uh, probably, as I said in the podcast a couple times back. So... I hope this was helpful to you. If it was, go to iTunes, leave leave me a review, write a comment, give me five stars if you feel I deserve it. If you feel I don't deserve it, uh, shoot me an email, Joseph, which is spelled J O S E P 
H, which shocking amount of people don't know how to spell Joseph. They put J O E S E P H, which is crazy to me. I feel like it's a such a common name. How do people not know how to spell it? But anyway, at songwritertheory.com, Joseph at songwritertheory.com, let me know what I can do to earn five stars from you because I want to get better and better and better and more helpful at podcasting because at the end of the day, I'm not here to talk to myself. I'm here to talk to you, to help you. So there's more great songwriters in this world. So there's more great music in this world that can change people's lives. That's why we're here. Um, so help me help you by shooting me an email, telling me what I can do to earn five stars from you. Uh, which put another way is what I can do to get better at what I'm doing. If you found this helpful, you will also find my free guide helpful, which is, uh, 10 different ways to start writing a song. I certainly talk about some of the concepts that I mentioned in here. You know, I, I mentioned writing a bass line first and a melody first and a guitar riff first and other things. So this goes over 10, actually 12, I believe. I give some bonus ones in there, but I give go over 10 different ways to start writing a song. Uh, which is to help you creatively expand. Like I said, for me, most of the time, I'm going to start with piano riff, melody, lyrics. Those are the ways I usually start. Uh, but this uh, breaks down five different lyrical ways to start first or thematic ways to start first, and then five different instrumental or musical-related ways to start writing a song. Um, and it's meant to sort of give you different ideas of different ways to start a song so you're not stuck like say your way of starting a writing a song is you know you always get your guitar out and start strumming chords right like this helps you break out of that box so uh i guarantee that it will be helpful to you again totally free it's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide it will absolutely help you whether you're just looking for a refresher or new ways to start writing a song so that you are less stuck or new ways to start writing a song so you can break out of your comfort shell. You know, I mentioned I'm not usually the type uh, to start with a bass line, but I've done that before because I want to break out of my shell and starting writing the music with a bass line is an interesting way to do that. Um, so I talk about stuff like that in the guide again at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. The link will be in the description. Thank you for hanging out with me for this long podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and it was helpful and I will talk to you next week.